0: Michael Sears, and we have a treat. As naval officers, we serve in the air, on land, and sea. But the reality is, we could do so much more. I'm joined from low Earth orbit on board the International Space Station, yes, in space, by Captain Chris Cassidy, United States Navy, Naval Academy Class of 1993, and a graduate of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology with a master's degree in 2000. Captain Cassidy served for 11 years as a member of Navy SEAL teams, where he made four deployments, two in Afghanistan and two in the Mediterranean. Welcome, Captain Cassidy.
1: Hi, Michael. Thanks a lot. It's great to be with you.
0: Chris, if you don't mind, I'm going to go on with your resume. You were selected as an astronaut by NASA in May of 2004. In February 2006, you completed astronaut candidate training. You've flown on several missions, and you are officially known as the 500th person in history to fly in space. Overall, you've accumulated 31 hours and 14 minutes of spacewalk time and 182 days in space so far. And you are currently circling above us at about 254 miles high and serving as the commander aboard the International Space Station, which launched on April 9th, 2020, as part of the Expedition 63 mission. I say all that to remind our audience that you are truly an officer who has been there and done that. And with that background, including service as NASA's 14th chief astronaut in July of 2015, we're talking about the importance of leadership in our jobs and careers. You know, we get a pretty liberal education here at Navy. I wonder if you can remind us of the importance of science, the scientific method, questioning hypotheses, etc.
1: An understanding in science is important for a naval officer for a number of reasons. One, the better you understand your equipment, the more successful you'll be able to be in employing and using that equipment, whether it's war fighting or maintenance or, or whatever. And everything I find has a scientific background. If you can understand the principles of how something works, you have just a deeper level of appreciation for what you're how you're employing that tool. And those tools can be really anything from just pushing the button on a comm channel and you expect to communicate but if you understand exactly what's happening to your voice as it comes out of your mouth, goes through the microphone and uh, through some cables and, and antennas from a, to another antenna and does the same process to the speaker on the other end, you can help troubleshoot if something isn't going wrong. So, just understanding in, in science and technology is, i found to be very, very helpful in my professional career.
0: How do you get your work done in such tiny space with a tiny crew?
1: Well, how do we get stuff done in, with a small crew in a small space up here? It's actually quite easy. The, what we have going for us is uh, the Mission Control Centers, both are in Houston and Moscow and in Munich where the European uh, Astronaut Center is cu- coordinated out of, and uh, Japan. And uh, in Canada, Montreal, they, they uh, monitor the robotic arm. So it's not a tiny crew. It's a tiny crew on board the space station, but the crew is large. When you add all those five control centers and the engineers and technicians and subject commander experts that are all part of the whole, the whole process. But actually getting it done up here uh, is a combination of ground sending remote commands. We try to have Everything be everything that can be done by ground commanding, we try to have that happen. And we use crew time as a resource, just like oxygen, food, water. Crew time is valuable, and uh, just because, like you said, there's a tiny crew, it's a finite amount of minutes in a day, uh, because it won't just happen naturally. Talk about trust. How do you build trust with your crewmates? How do you build trust between crewmates? It's no different, I've found, at, uh, in the space world as, as it was in the military world, it's be proficient at your job, be a good communicator. That means listening just as much as speaking, in fact, more, 90% listening and 10% speaking. I found that, at least for me, when I feel like someone is listening to me, then that builds trust. And I, as that's as a subordinate, I feel that way. And as a leader, I've tried to employ that, where you know everybody in a unit, everybody in an organization has value, has important thoughts, has important feelings. And if you're keeping your finger on the pulse of all that and listening and caring, uh, it's gonna go a long way. Now, can you accommodate everybody's desires? Can you make everybody happy? No, there, it's impossible. But in when I've been in a unit, if I felt like my opinion was heard, considered, and we took a different course of action, it's totally comfortable with that, it's fine. you know. But it's about knowing that your voice is heard and considered, and I think that goes a long ways for for building trust, both up and down and laterally across the chain of command. Uh, People need to know that you can get your job done, they don't have to go back and look at your work, and uh, if you say something, then you, you mean it. They, they can go take it to the bank. So integrity goes a long way uh, for obvious reasons.
0: So how do you build trust with mission control, the guys who are not
1: on board the space station with you, who aren't taking the risks that you are? How do we build trust with mission control? It's kind of the same exact concept right there. The mission control does not have really eyes on what we're doing. We do have cameras uh, on board the space station and they're pointed wherever we want to point them, quite frankly. So there are dead spaces where they can't see, and if we're doing an activity uh, that there's no camera, then uh, you know, they, they, they're they not watching us, And and but that's okay. They know that we are gonna give them words. If we make a mistake, which we strive very hard not to do every day, and if we're unsure of an action to take, even if it's small and seemingly inconsequential, we generally call Mission Control and double check if, if we're sort of what we call deviating from the procedure. Being methodical, owning up to mistakes and taking uh, input with open ears, I think, is the, the short answer of how do we build trust with Mission Control.
0: You're the commander up there. What challenges do you have as the commander, the leader of the team on the ISS?
1: It's quite easy. To be a, a leader of a space crew, they we're all mature professionals, but the challenges that we have hasn't been between the crew itself. We've been we've been chasing a tiny little leak that we've identified it. It's in the very back of the space station on the Russian side, and Ivan uh, and a- Anatoly are working a lot of extra hours with uh, executing kind of I would say science fair project type of ideas from the ground and justifiably so I mean we got to figure it out I've been kind of keeping my eye on on that The, the way I like to think of it is if there's a contingency that happens that requires us to get up in the middle of the night which we had happen when this leak first was identified you need to have the the reserves the you know the sort of energy in the bank to deal with that. Just like on a ship, firefighting, damage control, it's your job when when you're not on duty to be rested so that when you are on duty, you're good to go. And we have the same kind of thing thing up here. We take rest very seriously on board the space station.
0: Is leadership any different in space?
1: I would say there's no difference in leadership in space versus anywhere else. It's just about, it's about people and uh, People are your primary resource. You have other resources available to you. It's about understanding the mission. It's about understanding risk versus reward. You know, kind of when it's when you should push the risk line, push the risk envelope, and when you should you know lay up and and uh, and three putt. You know, so to, to use a golf analogy. So it's it's. Um, there's, there's really no difference. And when you, when you really understand the mission, when you understand the intent, commander's intent, as we say in the military or on, in, here on space, it's you know, the mission control intent. When you understand that very well, you can execute the mission. You can be a leader at, at your level to help contribute to the overall objective. And that's exactly what we do here on the space station. If, uh, if I have concern about a direction that we've been given to go, for a particular job or a task, or for example, out on a spacewalk, that's where you step in and voice your voice your concerns. It just happens to be that the environment we're in is space and it's no different than on the sea, under the sea, or uh, flying an aircraft over the sea.
0: What are some of the leadership lessons you learned as a junior officer that serve you well in your current assignment?
1: Leadership is something that I've been learning continuously at every level. Seems like you're always learning new uh, lessons and having a chance to employ lessons learned from from when you're younger. But particularly for me, when I was a junior naval officer, I was really fortunate to have some awesome chiefs. That was probably the, the single most important lesson I learned as an ensign and lieutenant junior grade. Is that the relationship you have with your chief, the senior enlisted, and the and the, the leader relationship? Kind of sets the tone for the whole unit, and that that trust and confidence, and being one head, and uh, communicating with the LPO as well, and kind of kind of just making sure that all are on the same page, and uh, and then you're going to just go get the daily jobs done. I learned that again, 25 years later, when my own daughter was uh, now, she was an ensign. she's, she's a lieutenant now, but when she first checked into her first unit and I said, oh, have you met your chief yet? And over the course of a, a couple months, I think she understood what I was, had been talking to her about, about the, the importance of that relationship and how and it was really cool for me to watch the lessons that I had learned and tried to give her those tools uh, as she learned how to be a quality junior officer. So yeah, I'd say the number one thing is, is uh, that I learned as a junior officer was relationship between the senior enlisted and the, the unit leader. Let's get back
0: to science. A big part of the mission of the Naval Service in the 21st century will be understanding and responding to the environmental impacts of weather, sea rise, winds and fires around the world. How has your service at NASA informed you of the Navy's need to go beyond just bombs on target, but rescue and relief?
1: Well, my service at NASA has has in fact really solidified my appreciation for our Navy, our military's need to go beyond just the traditional mission that, that we think. You know, the world is changing. Climate is driving a lot. You know, we can see from just a weather uh, environment this year alone, how big of an impact hurricanes and fires have had. And the military is really, really well equipped to respond to those kind of situations. I mean, when the pandemic started, we had uh, uh, our two hospital ships, steam to either coast and help out. It's a great example. You, you often see humanitarian aid with uh, you know a C-130 ramp down and water and chow coming out the back end and, and, uh, and th- those are just great examples and, and uh, makes me proud actually to be part of the military when we have such a uh, broad capability both to do our warfighting mission but also to humanitarian missions in the in the meantime it's just a great organization to be part of when you graduated did you know you wanted to fly in space when i graduated no i had no idea that i'd be interested in in nasa it wasn't even part of my calculus uh at all my mental calculus i i came to the Naval Academy not knowing anything about, about SEALs. In fact, I was very naive, 18-year-old. I think I, was, I knew that I had to serve in the Navy, but I didn't really know at that point there was no Internet and I didn't really read a whole lot about what it meant. I didn't know that you can do different things in the Navy. And uh, over the course of my time in, in Annapolis, I learned about SEALs and I was very motivated by a couple of the uh, Trident-wearing, guys on the on the yard and, uh, and that's what got me in, pointed in the direction of, of SEAL teams. And then probably five years or so into my SEAL team time, I learned and met Captain Bill Shepard who was a uh, Navy grad and uh, had uh, been in the SEAL teams and then gone on to become an astronaut. He was the first commander of the International Space Station. And now here it is, 20 years later, of manned operations on the station and I'm the commander as well, so that's kind of cool for us. But back to the question at hand is, was meeting and, uh, and understanding Shep's uh, career path, which the light bulb dawned on me, like, oh, if, if he uh, was a competitive applicant and I, my background is stacking up to be similar as his, then maybe I can as well. And that's So I was a lieutenant in the Navy when I got interested got motivated, found out how do you apply, when do they take applications at NASA. I applied one time in uh, 2000 and was not selected. And then in 2004, four years later, I applied and, and I was, was selected. So I was not a young boy uh, dreaming about flying in space. It was uh, quite the contrary.
0: And for those midshipmen who aspire to follow in your footsteps, what advice do you have?
1: What advice do I have for midshipmen that are interested in the the same path? Uh, Well, we don't pick astronauts right out of graduating with a bachelor's degree. You have to go do something. And for those of us uh, graduating from the Naval Academy, that means go do your job in the Navy. And you have to do that well. We're not gonna pick somebody at NASA if you were a poor performer in your primary duties in the, in the Navy, whatever those are, it doesn't really matter these days what uh, community you service select with your if you desire to be an astronaut. We'll take will take uh, any background, military, civilian, whatever. We do require the the a technical degree, both bachelor's and, and master's degree. Although they just changed those requirements a little bit, I'll have to read up exactly what those requirements are, but math, science, chemistry, physics, that kind of thing is a required degree. So that's step one. And step two is just hit the fleet running and uh, be the best naval officer you can be. Be technically sound, be academically sharp, take advantage of opportunities when they come up. I don't want this to sound negative, but statistically speaking, you it's l- less likely that you'll become an astronaut than you then not and that was told to me and, and it was very, very true. I feel very fortunate that I was one of the lucky ones to get selected but my point being you have to be prepared to continue doing the job that you're doing in, in the Navy or, or if that's at the, when the time comes to move on into civilian life and you should, you should be content with what you pick. And, and that has another benefit to that is when you when you're happy doing your job you generally do it well and that that supports the theory of you know uh, making yourself a better applicant to become an astronaut so those are the things it's really simple we don't we also don't want people that wouldn't be enjoyable to be with on a six-month mission uh, so be the best. Tent mate, you can be. I think is probably the best way to, to describe it. You know, your chances will of be selecting as an astronaut will increase.
0: So here's a question: Have you used what you learned in Calc three at the Naval Academy in your job at NASA?
1: I would definitely say yes. There's it's an understanding of uh, of math and science in general. I. To be honest with you, I don't remember the syllabus of calculus three, so I can't tell you, oh yeah, in section uh, 7.4, that's, I use that uh, theorem every single day. But I will tell you this, for example. I know that momentum is the area under the force versus time curve. And I see that with my own eyes uh, up here in space and feel because think about this, this big heavy 350 pound spacesuit behind me, I can uh, flick it like that with my finger and I'm inputting a certain force for a short period of time. The heavy spacesuit barely even reacts. If I take an M&M and flick my finger the same way, that uh, uh, I'm imparting the same momentum, the same force for the same finite amount of time but the the M and M goes goes flying across. So it's fascinating to see this concept, and and then now you that's the force. And if you put that over time, if you push your finger a little bit, and you have a, a small but constant force, now you're adding imparting more momentum uh, in into the system, and. Uh, you take that back to calculus three. How do you determine the area under that curve? Well, you integrate, you integrate from X to whatever, and uh, and you, there you get the answer. So that's one example that I can think of just off the top of my head, is mom- the concept of momentum, which is so critical to just floating around as a person, but also our spaceships maneuvering and docking and rendezvousing and control of momentum area under the force time curve captain cassidy thanks for joining us on ethics and the naval warrior any parting words so michael thanks a lot it was uh, great to be with you it's always fun to connect back with the naval academy and and discuss leadership it's a it's a fascinating subject i know that when you're studying it as a young midshipman sometimes it can be boring but when you hear case studies and real life examples uh, it kind of brings it to home but as you get older, you have a greater appreciation for just exactly the value of those life lessons that others are are helping you learn so that you don't make the same mistakes that others have before you. So thanks very much again. Always great to talk to you. What are the days? How many days till we beat Army? I have nine more days left on board the International Space Station and then I'll return to Earth. So I'll definitely be home for when we beat Army.
0: You've been listening to Ethics in the Naval Warrior, produced by the Boeing Leadership Innovation Lab at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. You can find more of our podcasts by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu.